Slap nuts. This is the King of the Mountain, Jeff Jarrett, and you're listening to the Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Hey, how's everyone doing out there in Geek Vibes Nation? This is your pal Dane, host of Wrestling Geeks Alliance, where every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we talk wrestling from the last week. Uh, we got a packed show to go over for you guys tonight. Uh, happy Thanksgiving, of course. If you're not someone that celebrates Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving anyways. Sorry, I was born in America. Stuff happens, but eat some turkey. Go have a turkey sandwich. Do what you have to do. Either way, speaking about turkey and Thanksgiving, it's that time of year where the gobbledygooker comes out and gives everyone presents if they were good. No, no I'm just kidding. That's not what happens. Basically, Survivor Series happened this last weekend, and I think that me and my panelists have a lot to talk about. So let me introduce my co-hosts. First, of course, one of the OGs along with me, Mr. Brother Christopher Ray Patton. How are you doing, sir, tonight? I'm doing great, man. Just cracked open a beer and looking forward to talking about the shit show that was Survivor Series. And I'm off work, so oh. double good. Yep. Off work myself for the next four days. Thank, thank the Lord. Um, but uh, I guess we already know an early uh, preview of your stance on the pay-per-view. But we'll we'll definitely uh, get into that. And all uh, and also, of course, we also have uh, Jeffrey Taylor from Jeffrey Show Live. Thank you so much for coming back, buddy. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. It's been too long. I'm ready to talk about some wrestling, especially Survivor Series, especially. Well, you know, let's go right into that craziness of Survivor Series. But before that, let me, uh, you know, take a word from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Action Heat. Action Heat makes the world's best battery-heated clothing. Heat on demand at the touch of a button. Control your environment with Action Heat. Action Heat's clothing is engineered to safety and efficiency, delivering heat via heating panels uh, similar to heated car seats. Uh, they can reach temperatures of up to 135 degrees and are powered by a rechargeable 5-volt lithium lawn battery that lasts up to 12 hours on each charge. Action Heat batteries can also be used to recharge your phone or any other gadget while you're wearing them. It's, it's really great because, you know, along with having these amazing socks that keep my feet warm, I can go and charge my cell phone with the same thing. So it's very convenient on that aspect for sure. Perfect for any friend or family on your holiday gift list. Great for anyone who works outdoors, skiers, snowboarders, or anyone that loves the outdoors and hates the cold. I mean, I think all of us can relate to that. I'm sure both of you guys hate the cold, right? Yeah, man. It's terrible. It's horrible. We're we're complaining about it in Georgia, though, so I feel kind of dumb at the same time saying that. 
because uh, I have family out in Boston that probably don't want to hear it. If you guys are listening, yeah, I'm from Georgia and complaining about this cold. Anyways, Action Heat clothing provides toasty warmth and comfort for your whole body, including heated jackets, socks, gloves, hats, and even undergarments like heated base layer shirts and long johns. You can stay warm and cozy from head to toe with Action Heat. Action Heat is available in men's and women's and has great new styles and models just released for the winter season. So go check them out on their website. Make winter activities more enjoyable with the blast of the warmth. Action Heat is the perfect solution to keep you toasty and warm, even in the most frigid winter weather. Heated products that fit everyone's budget, starting at about $39.99. We've got a special deal for our listeners to save 20% off your entire order. And, guys, think about it. Christmas is coming up. This is really a great gift to get for anyone, from your mom to your your girlfriend to to whoever, to that weird guy down the street that gives you that look every time you go and get your mail because he's a jerk. Maybe he needs some heated socks. Go give them to him. Just go to actionheat.com slash GVN to check out everything Action Heat has to offer. That's actionheat.com slash GVN, as in Geek Vibes Nation, or use the coupon code GVN at checkout to save 20%. Stay toasty warm while you enjoy all your outdoor activities this winter with Action Heat, and we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Wow. All right. That was fun. I am really looking forward to getting some long johns from them. Like I said, I already have some socks and some gloves from them, and they're great because I work in a warehouse, and it gets really older for the next couple of months. So with Action Heat, I'm thinking about getting the long johns, and I already got a pair for my dad for Christmas already ready. So thanks, Action Heat. Like I said, I appreciate you guys sponsoring us. You guys have some great products, so I don't mind – trying to solicit them to everyone. I mean, you know, it's a good thing to let people know about good stuff. But let's go into um, our first topic for Survivor Series. So I guess we, we kind of got a, uh, you know, sort of a, a start off. Um, Chris, you seem like you didn't like it for, for, for certain parts, I'm assuming. And um, I, I liked it. I, I, I don't like – Basically, it's the bad writing. It's the, it's the bad, um, you know, booking decisions that make no sense to me, especially finding out about this pre-show match that we're about to talk about, which is just mind-boggling, how a giant corporation like WWE can decide for, I think, the third year now that not only is Raw going to beat SmackDown, which to a lot of wrestling fans, I think, with myself uh, included, the superior wrestling show to Raw, um, you know, and this time dominate because Shane McMahon won a random ass event that he put himself into last minute, and that's the justification. Eh, and not only that, they clean sweep them. So the reason why I say that, and it kind of leads us into the, uh, we can talk about the opening match, which was on the pre-show, which honestly was better than some of the actual other Survivor Series matches. Yes, a 20-person tag match was entertaining, and the way that they got down to the last four teams of being the New Day, the Usos versus the Revival, and Bobby Roode and Gable, it was a lot of fun. And you would think that since, for some reason, you know, uh, the Revival won, or was at least the last team that they would have gotten some type of push, and then they lose like idiots to, to Lucha House Party, you know, further showing that Vince, on his end, doesn't really care about tag teams, especially on his quote-unquote A show. 
So as you can tell, I'm already aggravated because apparently miscommunication with with the talent that was putting this match together, and uh, this is actually supposed to go to Raw. Raw was supposed to win this match, and somehow apparently that got lost in the shuffle. And um, we knew about that, and not only that, when they were kind of like going against it, later on Xavier Woods, you know, kind of started tweeting about it. Um, after, obviously, on Monday, uh, after Survivor Series. So, like I said, opening tag match, uh, lots of, um, you know, guys there. But once it started, like, skimming down and we got, the, like, the, the meat of it, I think it ended up turning into a fun match. And in retrospect, it was the only SmackDown match that won. And apparently, it wasn't even supposed to go out that way. They weren't even supposed to win. So, let me pass it to you, Jeffrey. Um, how do you feel about this match? And not so much about the match uh, by itself, but, like, you know, uh, the apparent rumors that, well, from what, like, Dave Metzler and a lot of people say, that this this was a miscommunication, and they weren't technically even supposed to win. Raw was supposed to get a clean sweep, and they had to kind of, like, do some stuff last minute because of that. I'm going to be honest with you guys. It's the pre-show match that we were referring to? Yes. I didn't watch the pre-show match. I just want to be for sure before I said I didn't watch the pre-show match. I was busy during that time. And I hate to be that person that proves to WWE the importance of a pre-show match. But I honestly never really care for the pre-show matches. I feel like they are dark matches. They are add-on bonus matches. And I know that sometimes they are good, but it's just I'm a main card guy. So I'm not even going to act like I've seen the pre-show match. I literally got to my friend's house as the uh, Seth Rollins and Nakamura match went. When I found out that the women went on first, oh, my God, this is going to come off wrong. But I just genuinely, it wasn't anything about the sex. I just genuinely wasn't interested in the women's match either. So I actually can come in with you guys on the Seth Rollins. But just hearing you guys talk about it, that's crazy. Like, there, there definitely needs to be some communication with the ending, in my opinion. So I didn't even know all this was going on. This is the first hearing. Uh, Chris, everything that I was just talking about, the match itself, if you, if you watched it, but more the story around it, you know, that Observer and a lot of the other outlets have been talking about, that this was a miscommunication with creative, and technically Raw was supposed to sweep even the uh, pre-show match. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard the rumors about them supposedly sweeping the match. I definitely saw Xavier Woods being hilarious on Twitter uh, with his going back and forth on whether SmackDown was clear sweeps or not because they did win the undercard match. Not sure what happened with the communications, though. That is very, uh, very weird. I don't know if they decided, you know, last minute that Raw was going to go over in every match. Maybe that didn't get communicated or not, but I'm sure if that is the case, Vince is definitely chewing out the road agents. Um, as far as the match goes, I, I thought it was a pretty good match for a Survivor Series, especially like, uh, you know, a very large tag team match. Probably my favorite spot, which is, I, I've seen a bunch of gifts from it as well, but the uh, the spot where Chad Gable hit the uh, belly-to-back suplex from the top rope to the outside onto the group of people, I thought that was a creative way to have, you know, your big everyone-fall-down spot on the outside of the ring. Um it, to me, it made sense. The Usos won. I think they're the best tag team in, in this group. I do love the New Day. It, it When you look at the SmackDown tag teams versus the, the Raw tag teams, it'd be really hard for me to, you know, look at what Raw's done and go, okay, those guys deserve to win. So 
I think they should have really played up that SmackDown's tag division won this match and, and just be talking about it, maybe even building the storyline if, if that wasn't what they expected to happen. Because when you look at those tag teams in comparison to what they have on Raw, uh, with the you know with the exception of the Colognes who are kind of just thrown together as a SmackDown tag team, I, I you know I think they're a much better brand when it comes to tag team wrestling, and have been for probably you know, a year and a half, two years. And, you know, the bar's not even in this match. They wrestle later on in the night. So that just further adds to SmackDown's tag team division as opposed to Raw's. And um, I think I predicted SmackDown to win anyway. So uh, I wasn't really shocked. I thought it was a good match overall. It was definitely a good opener, and it was better than a lot of stuff that was on the main card. So you missed out by not watching the (laughs) pre-show. But uh, it was good overall. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's what it's kind of sad because, like, you know, one of the matches, and we'll talk about it later on, uh, involves PP, uh, was one of the big matches I was looking fucking forward to with the tag match, and that was a joke compared to this. And, like, even, like, the women's one to open with, I thought, I, this tag match just, you know, for having, all right, let's let, let's see the teams. It's the Usos, the New Day, Sanity, Gallows and Anderson, and the Colognes. They should just destroy Smack, or Raw no matter what against Bobby Roode and Gable, Revival, B-Team, Lucha House Party, and Ascension. But, uh, yeah, uh, the Usos were the survivors of the SmackDown team. Jimmy Uso pinned Scott Dawson off a splash to win the match. I want to mention, now that you guys just scared me, because you're both into the whole entire wrestling thing, and this is what I heard from, I'm pretty sure, a good outlet. But then again, I listened to like a million podcasts with wrestling during the weeks. So I, I could have sworn I heard several people talk about this. But maybe I'm wrong, so if anyone out there is yelling at me, I'm sorry. I might have gotten my uh, stories not straight. Uh, Chris and Jeff could have heard about this. They could have not, and I could have, and I don't know. So I'm just going to throw it out there that uh, the fact that they weren't supposed to win uh, Storyline in the first place, that might be on me. If not, uh, join the comment section. Let me know if I'm right or wrong. Either way, let's move on. Um, So, yeah into a brawl backstage because they don't like each other. And I, I think I suggested this, Chris, last week when we were talking about the predictions uh, that somehow Sasha and Bailey were going to end up on that team. Well, it looks like that's how they took out both of those ladies and they were replaced by Sasha and Bailey, which in the pre-show, another thing I could uh, uh, complain about that is that, all right, you're going to have a segment backstage locker room where, um, you know, Alexa Bliss is addressing everyone, telling them that these are the new two members and, you can tell everyone's, like, not too happy about this, and, you know, everyone's giving each other glares. And then at the end of it, it's like, Team SmackDown, yeah! And everyone's fucking partying. It's like, no, don't do that. Like, stuff like that just kills the mystique for me. Like, ugh. Anyways, either way, we had the women's match first. Mickey James, Nia Jax, Tamina, Bailey, Sasha Banks against Team SmackDown, Carmella, Naomi, Sonya Deville, Asuka, Mandy Rose. Uh... Honestly, the stuff to watch for this, and it sucks that it couldn't have just been a whole entire match, was everything between Sasha Banks and Asuka. Um, I thought they were awesome in the match. Um, I liked pretty much any anything interaction between the two. I mean, most of the women did fine. Uh, I thought it was bullshit that Naomi was taken out immediately with super kick, pretty, and she's the captain of the team right at the beginning of the match uh, by Tamina. Uh, Nia Jax, man, she's rocking this whole entire uh, face breaker or whatever the hell. Um, I have to say that 
You know, if if the situation is cleared in the back, shit happens. I know that, that Nia needs to watch herself. We have already talked about that. But if you're going to use it to get heat, we've seen it work out pretty well for Sammy Callahan, Jay White, et cetera, et cetera. So it worked. It definitely got a reaction, especially when she won it. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think of, like, any – nothing else was, was too memorable. I like the, ex- uh, the exchange between Sonya Deville and Bailey for the most part. Mandy Rose was kind of pointless. Uh, except for to hear creepy Corey, who's married, uh, talk about her the whole entire time. Um, and Mickey James, I think had a, I, I actually don't remember. I, I think I'm thinking of Mickey James' match with um, uh, Charlotte on SmackDown. I can't remember if her in this match, but either way, that was basically the breakdown of the match. At the end of it, it was Sasha Banks and Nia Jax against Oscar by herself, who was the sole survivor and winner of Survivor Series last year. Uh, Sasha went up to top ropes, and Nia, to be even the ultimate heel, pushed Sasha off of it. Got not, or Sasha caught by Asuka in the Asuka lock, and then as soon as she tapped out, Nia just came out, dropped two leg drops, picked her up, Samoan drop, Brock Lesnar style, one, two, three. The breaker of faces wins the match. Um, Chris, how did you feel about this match? I thought it was a weird decision to book the injury of Becky into the match. Uh, I think it's fine. They've definitely done it before in other companies, and it's worked out okay, but like, I don't know that I want Nia Jax being my top heel on Raw in general, and I definitely don't know if I want storylines going through her considering that she has hurt multiple people recently. Uh, so that to me was weird. They, I think they put her over kind of strong in my opinion, which I necessarily agree with. Uh, but you know, I guess it's building. You could see, I, I, you have to have someone for Ronda to face. So this is at least a good way to, I guess, get to that match. So I'm not super stoked on seeing that. Uh, the match itself was fine. There wasn't anything great that really stood out to me. Obviously, I think people popped hard for Sasha Banks and Asuka. I think that's a match people would love to see down the road. Um, it's I don't know. I didn't have a high opinion on this match. I, I kind of thought it was just there, and then the booking of it didn't make it any better for me, uh, if that makes sense. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of how I felt about that match. Absolutely, and I, I agree with you. Uh, I don't know if that's a – in a way that's rewarding – you know, Nia, I mean, it's not, but, I mean, if you're giving her a push based on this, I mean, I guess technically she was probably already one of the top heels anyways going against Ronda Rousey before that happened. But, you know, there's – apparently the story is – and, it, I mean, it doesn't save anything, but even though obviously she messed up the side of her face, that was all bruising, she really just broke her nose, gave her concussions a bad thing. Brie Bell of that whole entire situation, that just happened. Obviously the difference is Brie – never really hurt people beforehand. And, uh, you know, Naya has kind of had a reputation. I mean, she did a couple of months ago when we talked about it with Selena Vega. So this, you know, the fact that your lanyard would be called like the face crusher or whatever, or the face breaker or breaker of worlds, or whatever the fuck they're calling her. And it was Becky, even if she just got her nose broke besides the concussion, which is the bigger deal, but didn't really – you know, hit her orbital bone or break her face like they were trying to allude to. 
yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. But then again, we're going to talk about stuff on Raw that I really don't know how I feel about involving storylines with, you know, people that are battling cancer currently and shit. So that's Raw for you. I know you didn't. You, you admitted that you didn't watch the match, Jeffrey, but uh, did you have anything comment? Do you have a problem with Nia using that or them using the fact that she injured Becky accidentally within the storyline itself? Or does that not bother you? I love that. Actually, I suggested it. Before Nia Jack started using it, it seemed like she was, like, sentimental, emotional about it, in my opinion. Just going by her Twitter, I'm really heavy on Twitter. So just seeing how she was um, tweeting still that I'm showing up. When she started doing a face breaker hashtag and started rubbing in her face, it happened after I tweeted. And I'm not trying to take credit or say that I work with WWE or anything, but I was kind of like trolling in a sense. I was kind of like, Nia Jax honestly needs to embrace this and take all this heat. Like, you already have so many people saying that they hate you and what's going on, like it was on purpose and everything. I was kind of like, this is show business. This is theater. And even though people are going to be in their feelings, just use it. It kind of reminded me, I like to use examples. It reminded me of The Rock when he came back from Hollywood in 2003 and everyone just wasn't feeling him. You sold out. Just use it. Like, why not? And, of course, it's two different because there was an injury involved. But I loved it. But with me being saying this, I'm going to stop there and say I'm not a fan of Nia Jax. But I do love the heel heat, but I don't I don't care for her. <laughs> Wish it was somebody else. <laughs> Chris, do you have any last statements about the women's match before I move on? I mean, I think there's, like, heat and then there's X-Pac heat where you do something shitty and it makes people dislike you because you're bad at your job. And then there's getting heat. And I don't consider what she has heat. I think that people were upset because she hurt a wrestler because she was bad at her job. So, yeah, people are pissed off and you can use that in a storyline, but that shit only goes so far. And Nia Jax has zero personality and she's bad in the ring. So pushing her as a top female heel in general at this point is a dumb idea. She's just going to continue to hurt people unless someone like Rhonda decides to knock her the fuck out. Uh, so, you know, there's that. Like, somebody will eventually give her a receipt that she'll remember. Um, I guess my, you know, my problem with it in general is, is she's been unchecked for so long. We've been doing this podcast for, like, what, a year and a half, two years that I've been saying this. Uh, it's it's like, uh, it's the same thing with, you know, how Seamus used to be. So. It's just, it's a weird situation. I think rewarding a wrestler who derailed the top female storyline in their company is not the best way to go. Not a good look. No, I, I get that. I mean, and I think that you're saying, and I mean, this could happen with Ronda Rousey. This could happen, but like, remember, it's a completely different, but the, the idea of a receipt. Remember when Braun and Brock tangled up and Braun nailed him and then Brock let him know, like, hey, calm the fuck down, basically, by punching him in the face and almost knocking him unconscious. Now, I'm not saying that that's what Ronda should do to her, but, you know, she's stiff. I think that Braun, their last match proved that she will give it back, but I don't really even want anything like that. I just want, you know, people to, to just be more aware and – I mean, at this point, they're not going to put I, I, these people that are, you know, they're saying, like, put her back down into, you know, create a, or go back down, basically, and, and learn more and stuff like that. Yeah, she can go to the training center and try to get better at this stuff, but she's not going to get demoted to NXT, and that doesn't, like, make NXT look good at all, if that's the case. Like, so I, I understand what people are saying, but the sense, we've got Nia Jax, you know, she is 
with you. Some of it, I don't like calling it X-Pac heat, but it, you know, that's, that's where the term stems from obviously. But, uh, you know, that, that real heat that, that you, you fucked up and that's why I don't like you. Not like, Hey, I'm following the storyline and that's why I don't like you. So I do agree. I think she has both though. I think that, I mean, they're going to keep on going like it's nothing and they're not going to even address it, but she did derail Becky Lynch. And luckily she didn't cause her from all of a sudden just not being there. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say about it, but uh, that's, that's that whole entire thing. I don't even think this is this match. You didn't miss much, by the way, Jeffrey. Like I said, <laughs> okay. you, missed, you, missed, uh, you missed some cool parts between Sasha Banks and Asuka. And then, like I said, Sonya Deville and Bailey had some, some cool parts, and that was, that was about it. Um, yeah. All right, so let's go to the next match. Uh, Seth Rollins against Shinsuke Nakamura, uh, the IC champion, um, Monday Night Rollins against Shinsuke Nakamura with the United States of Nakamura, you know, came out in their little outfits. I like the start of the, the match, how it started off normal Shinsuke match. He gets him to the rope eventually from a couple strikes here and there and then puts his head, buries it in the stomach, backs off, says, come on. And I like Seth's facial expression. It was kind of like a mix of, like, who the fuck is this guy? And also, like, like I want to kill him. So then it goes a little bit more. They strike. They, they, they keep on trading back. And then Seth Rollins does it to him. In his, uh, you know, I don't know, six, sixty-year-old cigarette smoker voice. The come on! Uh, but uh, this is a good match. Um, I think I'm, I'm not trying to downgrade it. I actually think that you know it was a fun match to watch. It was it was definitely one of the better ones on the card. But it was basically like a SmackDown match, and I love both these guys, especially um, Seth Rollins, one of my favorite. And they both were great. They worked. I wish that we could have seen a rivalry between them beforehand because I think they work well in the ring together. I love the ending sequence. I'll say that, you know, uh, going from it basically went move, move, move. He did the arm bar, the flip over arm bar. And then right after that was the, uh, the cool knee uh, from there, try to get him in the Kinshasa. I think he did get him in the back of the head. I don't understand how that, because I've seen Shinsuke do the Kinshasa to the back of the head before. And I swear that's like always a signature because that never pins them. A back of the head shot never pins them. It's got to be the one straight forward to the front. It's like kind of like if he does it off the middle rope, it doesn't count as well. I don't, I don't get how that works, the knee to the head, but maybe I'm thinking too much into it. Either way, got him in the back of the head. Uh, Seth somehow maintained stability, uh, got out of the way of the other Kinshasa, got him into the, uh, well, we can't call it the curb stomp, whatever the hell it's called, the stomp. And Seth Rollins won the match. Like I said, fun match. Basically, it was a SmackDown match. Let's put it that way. Uh, Chris, how did you feel about this? Uh, I I think it was good placement on the card. I wasn't a huge fan of the match. I'm kind of still down on Nakamura since he came up to the main roster. Like I said, I can't name a match of his that really stands out since he came up to the main card. I don't know if that's they told him to dial it back or if he's just working a very specific style or what, but uh, I'm kind of with you. The end sequence I thought was probably my favorite section of the match, even with the false finishes. I thought it was fine. Um, I like Seth Rollins a lot. I kind of expected a bit more out of the match, but I, it is what it is. And in the card placement, I think it was, uh, was good to go on after the, the, the women's match, knowing that you're going to put Nia over putting two of your, I, I would say the f- 
fan favorites right after. And, and them having, you know, what I would consider, like you said, a SmackDown, a good SmackDown match. Uh, I guess I'm just jaded because, like, like I've said many a times, that Nakamura-Sami Zayn match is so good, and I don't know that he's ever going to reach that again in WWE, and that's scary. Um, that and, like, I don't know where they go with Nakamura after this. I guess the loss doesn't really matter, but he doesn't really have any competition on SmackDown outside of uh, this pay-per-view. So, uh, obviously, Seth is going to be going against Dean, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But outside of that, the match doesn't really do anything, and it was just another SmackDown loss on a string of what we're going to talk about the rest of the time we're on the podcast, it sounds like. Yeah, I completely get that. Uh, Jeffrey, how did you feel about this match? I honestly agree with you all, to be honest. The only thing that I really enjoy, so in terms of just reiterating, the match is nothing special. It could have been done on a regular Raw. Uh, I was surprised that Nakamura didn't win with uh, the knee to the back of the head. I was kind of like, what what are we doing here? (laughs) Like, what's going on? I thought that would be the finish, Uh, but it was still exciting to see the rest of the finish, but the only thing that I want to point out that's a little different is that I do admire them for not having any involvement with Dean Ambrose. As the bad guy, I know that with my predictions, I was expecting Dean Ambrose involvement. So it's really nice that they kept them out and they just let it be clean. So I like that. Yeah, I get, I get that for sure. Um, I, 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 I just think that with Nakamura, like you were saying, Chris, it seems like now that he's on the main card, it's like he's either, you know, he either wants to or he's just it's supposed to do his greatest hits, basically. Just get out there, do the, the exact spots you do every single time, and that's about it. And, uh, I mean, it, it seems like based on the person that he's working with, they'll get a better performance out of him. Like, you know, I think two of the people that – I think this was a good match for Shinsuke compared to a lot of ones that were so lackluster, like especially the whole AJ feud – you know, AJ didn't make him look that bad. Randy Orton made him look pretty good. It just, I don't know, maybe it's just not translating. Uh, maybe Shinsuke's at the end of his career. I know, I don't know how old he is exactly. I'm assuming late 30s, early 40s, uh, like the, a lot of those guys. But, um, yeah, I have no idea. But hopefully the, the U.S. to the, the, the his title gets some type of competition within it because he doesn't have anything. And I feel like he's just floating around holding the title because they don't know what to do with him and they don't know what to do with the, you know, U.S. title division. So, uh, strange, what are you going to do? Let's move on to the match that I hated uh, pretty much just because of the ending. Uh, AOP, the Raw Tag Team Champions, went against the Bar, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Cesaro and Sheamus uh, with the big show. AOP with Drake Maverick, their, you know, manager, I guess. Um, You know, it sucks because I don't know about – I don't know Drake Maverick for Rockstar Spud. I got into wrestling probably right as well that was going on in WWE when he was in Impact. But, you know, hearing him on the Edge and Christian podcast not too long ago, he was talking about – it's kind of sad in retrospect that he was doing the commissioner on 205 Live and he felt like he was having fun with that creative going forward and that he had this idea and that he really wanted to be a powerful manager like they were back in the day, that he loved Bobby the Brain Heenan and he wanted to try to, like, make this whole entire tag thing, you know, have a tag team, have, like, a, a group of guys where he's, like, 
the the fast talking shit talker for them. That's little, and the other guy could destroy him, obviously. But he's got this group of gentlemen in front of him, like, and uh, that's not what they're doing with them. Uh, I kind of, when I first saw him, I was like, get him the fuck out of the stupid AOP outfit. And then they put him in the suit, and I was like, all right, I can handle this. I'll give the guy some mic time, or it's it's completely pointless. Well, they didn't. And, you know, after a while, it looked like a child with two boulder monsters just fucking him pulling them. And he looks ridiculous. And now he peed himself. I don't remember anything that happened in this fucking match besides that. And I know that Vince thinks this type of shit is hilarious. But you just buried your tag division. Just made him look completely pointless. Now AOP is going to be called AOPP, like they were on Raw, from now on, until you get rid of Drake Maverick and... I don't know why, but not, but put him back with Paul Ellering, maybe, who confirmed that the road life had nothing to do with him leaving, you know, managing them, like the original rumor. I, I, whatever, do what you're going to do. I just think that was stupid. Um, having Raw have a decent tag team, you know, when, when you look at paper, they shouldn't have won at all. But then it, within the match, they did well, and you think they would have helped out Revival? No, Revival loses to the Lucha House Party, and then your champions lose to Gable and, and Rude, who weren't even the last guys in your fucking Tag Survivor Series. So now, even more so, the Raw Tag Division just looks ridiculous, and you have AOPP. Chris, uh, did, did you love this match? <laughs> no, I did not love this match. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, so I got let's. I've already dumped on Drake Maverick as their manager. I, just, I don't think it works that. Um, but you could still have a good tag team and Authors of Pain if you booked them properly and your tag division looked shit. It would have been a very strong victory for them to just beat the bar. And you play up the fact that Sheamus, the former, what, four or five time world heavyweight champion, and then you list out the accolade, Cesaro, and then you just have AOP win. And maybe even Big Show tries to get involved and AOP still wins. And now you have something to build your tag team division around. Now what they have is Drake Maverick who peed his pants and no fucking where to go from there. And their tag team division lost in the opening round to SmackDown. Further proving that SmackDown's tag team division is 100 times better than Raw. So the entire thing is, is if I'm the AOP, I, I would have been really pissed about this book. Let's put it that way. They went from complete badasses to, you know, basically destroying DIY, breaking up, sending them into their feud because they couldn't be authors of pain to we're the guys that beat the bar because our manager peed himself. It's just fucking ridiculous. It's, it's terrible. And, and the way that they booked AOP thus far is, uh, is sad, honestly, because I do think they're a good big man tag team and they can they could uh, do a lot. They definitely could be your top heel tag team on Raw, but they, they have no idea what to do. Yeah, and I'm sure they really are pissed. <laughs> oh, dude, all, all, I'm, all I'm picturing, that stupid scene that happened on Raw, I'm just picturing Vince in Gorilla with the headset. <laughs> ah, he peed himself. <laughs> ah, hey, pal. Um, Jeffrey, how do you feel about Drake Maverick peeing himself? There's no match that happened or anything like that. 
You know, I don't know if I'm lame or corny, but when you were saying, what was that PP that you were saying? What was it? Because that was my first time hearing that. What is it? Now I got to be cracking up over here. I didn't even know about that. What? What is it? What, that Drake Maverick peed himself at the end of the match? You didn't see where Big Show What's the little, grabbed the, the little chant they're doing? P-P-A-O-P-P-P or something like that? That's funny. Oh, yeah, the chant for A-O-P-P. A-O-P-P, that is funny to me. That is funny. That is funny. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't expect too much going into this match. So when it actually happened, I was kind of like, okay, I felt like the bar did their end and the AOP kept up. So I was kind of like, oh, it isn't as bad as I thought. But then when they did the Drake Maverick joint, I was kind of like, unnecessary. But I guess they needed something. But this wasn't it, Chief. And <laughs> I mean, it wasn't funny. At all. Like, I just had a blank stare. Like, I don't even think the crowd reacted like how WWE thought they would react. Like, everybody was kind of like, what? Even the commentators, they were trying to make witty joints. But the the best thing that came from it is the AOPP that I just heard from you. But it wasn't a bad match. I don't want to see it again. And I heard that you guys talked about the pattern is that the NXT call-ups just don't get their due for the majority of the time, especially with Lars coming up, the NXT guys just don't get their due, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a very good point. Uh, I I don't know. I'm just, like I said, like I, I picture like a situation where like Triple H is talking to Vince like, all right, Dad, like, you know, we we're trying to figure out the ending of the match and how we're going to lay it out. So what we need a distraction and we have Drake Maverick and bitch, I know he'll pee himself. It will be hilarious. Like, how the fuck do you get to that? Oh, God. Like I said, the reason why it annoys me is because I did expect, I wanted this to be like a badass, like, you know, both guys hitting the shit out of each other, but I don't remember any of the spots in the match because Drake Maverick peed himself. I'm sure they'll bring it up on 205 Live. I'm sure there's even more reason for them to talk shit about that show, too. It's just a really smart move, just booking all in general, if you ask me. Either way, talked way too much about that. Uh, Let's go over to a match that was actually pretty awesome, and I was really happy to see the same 205 Cruiserweight division. They were able to have the fourth match on the card. Um, I think that what Vince was thinking, that this is going to be a lull match, but Buddy Murphy, uh, the Cruiserweight champion, and Mustafa Ali brought it. They had a really awesome match. I mean, the thing is, if you're watching 205 Live, a lot of the stuff that they were doing, the Spanish fly off the announce table, you know, certain spots like that, I've seen them do a lot of times, but these guys worked together, uh, worked their asses off, got the crowd into it, and had a huge crowd screaming 205 as a chant, which is pretty good for them. Um, You know, at the end of it, Murphy countered a crossbody with a knee strike and hit Murphy's law to retain his championship. Uh, Really kind of wanted to see Mustafa Ali get the title finally. They didn't give it to him. Um, and I would actually recommend, I mean, I kind of it's too late because we're talking about the whole entire pay-per-view, but if someone outside of this asked me, you know, randomly, Survivor Series, what would you watch? There would be this match and the last two matches. I would skip pretty much the whole entire thing besides that. Um, but that's my opinion. Either way, Jeffrey, how did you feel about this Cruiserweight match? I absolutely loved this matchup, and if you're listening to this and follow me on Twitter, I know I poke fun of it, but that's what people like sometimes. They like when you troll, make jokes. I made 
jokes about, the crowd reacts. And, but what I did appreciate about these two athletes is that they fought for the crowd. Going to a lot of indie shows, there's a lot of people, one of my best advice to the indie wrestlers coming up is work the crowd. I hate to use terminology, but seriously, they paid their money, interact, and I feel like on a larger scale, like the Staples Arena, it's kind of a little bit more difficult to do so. I mean, people are all the way at the top. So the fact that Mustafa Ali, Buddy Murphy, these two men that probably majority of people unfortunately don't know about, and they got 205 live, they got reactions, and it was gradually throughout the match. I really appreciated it. I love how Buddy Murphy was throwing Mustafa around like he had no care for his body. This is what wrestling is about. And I, I just love the rivalry. I, I'm glad Mustafa didn't win the championship because I feel like Buddy Rain still has some more time left in it. And I said this on my um, show, but you guys remember how Tommy Dreamer never became the ECW champion? What if Mustafa just keep chasing after the Cruiserweight Championship and never get it. I know we're in a time where everyone gets the belt, but I would love to see someone just not get the belt like Roddy Piper or Tommy Dream. Oh, no, that's just me. What if Mustafa is just one of those chasers? But I really enjoyed this matchup, basically. That's an interesting concept, uh, for sure. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see it play out. But, uh, Chris, what did you think about this match? I think that's a very interesting storyline with just following up on the, the, the Tommy dreamer quest for the title. I think he did finally eventually winning thing, but for like, that was like the ongoing gimmick for forever was that Tommy dreamer had never captured the title, which would be really fun to do with someone like Mustafa Ali, especially if he has some great matches in the odd stack. Against him. I think that's awesome. I, w- I would love to see. Um, as far as the match, I, I thought it was, Honestly, in ring-wise, it was one of the best matches of the night. And I, I agree. He was able to get the crowd behind him, uh, the crowd behind those two guys. Yeah, and I think part of it is that the rest of the card was so lackluster, this match really stands out as being really good. But, you know, those guys have had some good matches on 205 Live, too. So, you know, overall, I'm glad that I did. The biggest thing, the thing that I'm the happiest for, I should say, is this didn't get thrown onto like the pre-show. I agree. Um, not, to, not to crap on like the, uh, the you know, the tag teams, because it sucks that they're on the pre-show too, but uh, this this match was better than that match, and I think it fit well on the card, and, and uh, I'm excited to see, you know, their dispute is going to continue, so it's exciting to see those guys work together again, and, and honestly, it's probably one of the best 205 title matches I've seen in a long time. Maybe, you know, with the top being probably Austin Aries and Neville when they were there. But outside of that, as far as pay-per-views go, this is one of the better ones I've seen in, in a long time. So uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good, especially when you, like, when you look at the rest of this card. Uh, Dan, I don't think you were far off on saying this is one of the matches you could watch and probably the last two and then maybe skip the rest of this pay-per-view and, and read it on Observer or Pro Wrestling Torch or however the hell you want to view that stuff. But, yeah, I, I tend to agree with uh, both your points so far. Yeah, or or watch the gifs or gifs. I don't know how what they exactly call them. Um, but yeah, thank you. Let's go to the next match. We got a oh god. All right, so and I I just want to say that I usually like Survivor Series matches. If they work right, they work right. But if not, they're just well this um, Team Raw. Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, Braun Strowman, Finn Balor, and Bobby Lashley 
against SmackDown, The Miz, Shane McMahon, Rey Mysterio, Samoa Joe, and Jeff Hardy. If you realize there's about a 300 weight difference between the two teams, uh, you're you're catching on pretty pretty quickly. Um, yeah. So I thought I don't know. SmackDown will get a little bit of offense, and once again, for the second year in a row, we see Shane McMahon completely spent. Uh, last guy in the ring to get destroyed by whoever's left. Um, yeah, I, this could have been a lot more fun. Uh, I wish that the whole match was actually the Finn Balor versus Rey Mysterio portion. And the fact that Samoa Joe got annihilated by a Claymore after almost submitting McIntyre immediately makes me think that maybe Joe, they haven't used him a lot. They, I know that he had an injury, um, and then he had the match with AJ uh, last minute, uh, over in Saudi Arabia because Daniel Bryan pulled out. Um, I don't. I have. I have not heard any word on this, but I'm assuming maybe he's still kind of tender with whatever he was injured from beforehand. Uh, so maybe that's the reason why they pulled him out first. I don't know why the fuck you'd have Samoa Joe lose that quickly. Is what I'm trying to say. <sighs> All right, Mysterio eliminated uh, Balor with a six one nine. The Springboard Frog Splash. Shane McMahon pinned Ziggler after coast to coast drop kick. Strowman eliminated Hardy, Mysterio, The Miz, and Shane with power slams to win. And then afterwards, uh, got nailed in the back of the head by the Universal Belt by Baron Corbin. Or not the Universal Belt, whatever the hell he had. I don't remember exactly. Um, yeah, the, the, like I said, the stuff with Ray and Finn really made me excited. And I wish I could see more of that. And I love The Miz coaching Shane McMahon to his doom several times. That was pretty funny. Uh, especially when he's like, yeah, 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 do the elbow drop. All right, now do the coast-to-coast. All right, now do the coast-to-coast again. And he just gets swatted like a bug from Braun Strowman. Um, Shane needs to stop doing that damn elbow drop spot. I'm just, like, I really appreciate that Shane's a maniac and that he'll put his body on the line and everything. But, my Lord, every freaking match he's got to do some giant bump that would that some normal wrestler's you know, maybe not nowadays, but most of the time wouldn't try to do, you know, every other month, for Christ's sakes. But that's how Shane is. So, you know, I was so happy to see the best in the world ever, Shane McMahon, go against, I don't know, I think it was at the end, Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman. I think Bobby Lashley might have still be in. I don't even know if he got eliminated. Chris, what do you think about this match? <laughs> um it's telling by Samoa Joe getting eliminated early how I feel about this match. I, I thought the entire thing was fucking terrible. Um, I'm done with seeing Shane McMahon jump off stuff. I've been fucking done with it for a long time. It's the same spot. It's like watching a guy do a wheelie when you're a kid. You're like, oh, sweet, a wheelie. And then you see him do the same wheelie like six times, and you're like, oh, shit, okay, that's that's it. That's all he's got now. Um, fucking uh, outside of that, like – is Braun Strowman a heel? Because to say he's not a heel, he just took out Hardy and Mysterio, which are two of the biggest fan favorites of all time. I don't know how him beating them to try to make him look strong is going to make him any more popular or make anyone give any more shits about him since they buried him with his Ziggler McIntyre storyline. Um, he's still kind of estranged from their group, but still okay with them. Like, the entire thing to me was, hey, we need to make Braun Strowman look strong. 
here's this match. Oh, and by the way, here's Shane McMahon, and maybe people will like it because Shane McMahon's in it. It was fucking terrible. Like, the way to make this match good is to put someone over that's unexpected, like have Rey Mysterio somehow beat Braun, or have Samoa Joe somehow last through these guys and win the match. Make a star out of it. Braun beating four people in a fucking match is, we've seen it, we've been through it, I'm fucking done with it. I, I like at this point, Braun Strowman is on my shit list of things I don't care about. Sucks, you know. He was both of one of our favorite big men not too long ago, and they went from, like I said, basically having someone that had like a stone cold edge to him with their segments they were building towards, but this powerhouse. And they and I loved, I love Paul White, but they basically have turned him into the Big Show, flip flopping from heel and baby face and just kind of like a, you know someone that they can do whatever with. And I mean, if that's the case, that happens, uh, he'll have a great career from it. But I mean, he doesn't really become that much a part of the storyline. If you just kind of jump from one to the other, I know that obviously Roman, you know, had his whole leukemia thing, had to leave basically to battle that. And they turn him really quick. And then him and McIntyre had their incident together they don't, they're not on the same page, and the only reason I'm assuming he was doing all this because, you know, he said he made a deal with Stephanie that if he won, that he would get Baron Corbin in a match and he would get his title match against Brock Lesnar so that he got screwed from it because of Baron. Uh, so I get that, but exactly. How did he act? The whole entire match was heel Braun Strowman, which is different from babyface Braun Strowman because it was, I'm working with this with Drew McIntyre and we're going to give evil looks. I don't know. I, I, I get what you're saying completely. It's just inconsistency with booking, and uh, Braun's now going to be a product of that. And now he's got really bad knees. He's not able to run as fast. He actually needs surgery. And the elbow injury that happened on Monday, uh, they did it on the opposite elbow, obviously, but his other elbow is really fucked up and has bone spurs in it, I think. Dave Metzler said was a technical term. I'm not a sports medicine major, so, kill, you know, sorry. Um, so sue me, if you will. I think that was a 90s term. Either way. Uh, Jeffrey, how did you feel about this match? Uh, yes. Going into this match, to be honest, looking at the matchup, I knew that I wasn't going to enjoy it. I thought I sound so negative. But let me just say, there was only two matches that I really – well, no, I'm lying. Okay, let me just continue with it. I knew this match wasn't going to be up to par for me. And they proved it. Like, I really enjoy Finn Balor, the Samoa Jody kickoff. I was like, are we serious? I know this is Survivor Series, but are we serious? And the match just continued. The last three soul survivors was lastly Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman. And just look at them three against the other five men, it, especially having Shane McMahon on the team. And that's no disrespect to the SmackDown Live roster, but this matchup was just completely off all the way, and the match showed for it. It was domination. And even the, the moments, I was about to say spots, but even the moments, they just didn't seem fun. The Shane McMahon uh, traditional moments, they're played out to me personally. I can imagine that feeling when you see it live in person is different, but for me on behind the screen at home, it's played out to me. Same man in the match at all is unnecessary, and for him to get a program with the Miz right now is another story. But you know, I don't know what I don't know what this was. I think that the comment that she said was something that I wasn't thinking about. I wish that this match would have been used to elevate 
some of the men in the matchup. I wish that it would have done more, but it didn't, similar to last year. So I'm glad it wasn't the main event. I'm glad. Yeah, me too. I think it would have definitely hurt the event itself if it went on last. Very lackluster. Um, I thought last year's, even though it didn't make any sense, that whole bullshit with Kurt Angle and Triple H, I mean, it led down in the storyline, you know, to that match at Mania and everything. But I thought it was just more fun and more put together, and this one just was, yeah. But hey, we got we got through the slog time. You know, there was two pretty good matches between Rollins and Nakamura, and especially the cruiserweight match. Uh, but these last two, I think, were pretty damn good matches. Um, I enjoyed them. Uh, I think they definitely had certain issues, uh, but they were definitely the best matches on the card. I don't even know which one I like. I think it was the last one I actually liked more, but I could see why you would like Charlotte versus Ronda Rousey. But either way, let's get into this. Wrong women, uh, champion versus champion. Well, actually, no. One of the champions, Becky Lynch, was hurt, so she got Charlotte, the previous champion, to go in her place. And we get to have a match between her and Ronda Rousey that's been speculated to be able to be something that could headline a WrestleMania. Still could, potentially. Now I think they're going to probably go in a different direction. Uh, with Becky because of the, you know, how the heat she has, if you will, because she's straight fire, get it? Uh, but, yeah, she's really fucking over, if you can't tell. And um, Charlotte still is now I, – I, I don't know if they basically had this match in mind uh, and basically Becky was going to do that stun at the end and then they just put Charlotte into it and she ended up, you know uh, – Getting, getting good things out of it because people definitely reacted well to it. Because Ronda Rousey, they gave her the na-na-na-na chant in her own hometown, which kind of unwarranted. I think Ronda did well. Apparently they worked on this match for three days with uh, Fit Finley um, and worked it out well. And I have to say the one critique I will say about Ronda, I think she's getting better on the mic. I think that when she plans stuff out for a match, it looks really, really good. Uh, you could tell, though, that it's not so much when she goes against someone like Mickey James, who's a legend, and should be a pretty good read. And it's just kind of, you know, I'm not going to say, I don't want to put her down to another Lana level, basically. Not that bad, but, you know, it's just Ouch. all over the place. <laughs> I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be that much of a dick, but watch the Rob match. Because I was watching, I was paying attention, and I was like, what the fuck? She's in the match. She's in the match with Mickey James. So uh, all I'm saying is that I think it takes a lot of preparation to make Ronda look good. And I think she's catching on better. But don't expose yourself the next night is all I'm trying to say. I, I like the uh, idea of, like, I'm a fighting champion or whatever. But, you know, same time, she needs to get she needs to be able to work in the ring like that. If we want to compare it to Kurt Angle, which Kurt is the one who keeps on doing that, Kurt was able to pick it up, do it, get good on the mic, and be able to go night to night to night the whole entire time you know, right off the bat, very quickly. So I know she's got a lot on her plate, but she's a Raw Women's Championship. She's one of the biggest names there. They keep on putting her in marquee matches, you know, so that's that's all. That's a good bit of criticism, and I, I just want to – I like Lana a lot. She's a great valet, and she's trying, but I'm just going to leave it at that. And I, I, I'm not saying she was exactly that level, Jeffrey, because I heard you say ouch, uh, but, you know, she just needs to get some fine-tuning, I think. Now, when you get a match that you worked on for three days with with, with Finley, you get this match, and it was an awesome match. And I actually liked 
kind of similar to the Austin Aries uh, John Morrison match, the sloppiness of the real fight aspect of of stuff not working, but them coordinating together, and it didn't look like they botched it. It, lo- it just looked like a fight, like an actual fight between them. Uh, we all know at the end of it, um, basically Flair just couldn't handle it. Uh, she went outside, she grabbed a kendo stick, and she beat the shit out of Ronda Rousey. Um, hit her in the head two times, too, uh, and uh, just exploded one. Had another one, did the whole chair thing. Um, I will say that two things on Charlotte's end, if I'm going to be, you know, if I'm going to critique anything, and I mean to a level that that's what we're, we're doing. Uh, Charlotte with the moonsault, um I don't even remember where the spot was with the moonsault, but I know it happened. I just – sometimes it's – I know it's on a pay-per-view, but she scares me with them because most of the time people don't catch her correctly or she just, like, overshoots it, so that kind of scares me. But I will say one thing with wrestlers, and this is, this is anyone, you know, the believability. If you are having trouble putting the chair on Ronda Rousey's head and <laughs> the camera is visibly on you, and this is definitely a, a thing, to me – Instead of Rhonda, you know, trying to help you basically, where you guys are working together to get the chair on her neck correctly, just figure it out and hit her in the head a couple times to make it look like she's laid out. Because it just, stuff like that just bothers me. Like I said, people, before in the past, I love The Rock. I've always hated the people's elbow. I think it's the dumbest move ever. So that's just me and my style of stuff. It just doesn't, the, I, my sustained disbelief kind of goes out the window with shit like that. Just like little things that certain people, you know, like AJ Styles. From Gainesville, he does, and uh, you know, and Charlotte's one of the best. I'm not trying to dog shit on this match. This match was awesome. It was a lot of fun, uh, back and forth. Both women just warriors beating the crap out of each other. And I love that part where Ronda, like you know, was like ready to go, and she turned around and got speared. Like timing was great. But I mean, I gotta find something to say about the match, right? Or, or should I shut the fuck up, Jeffrey? Let me know. Nah, you're good. You're completely good. The Charlotte and Ronda match was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. We could talk about this all night, to be honest. It got high praises from WWE Hall of Famers, rightfully so. But the story of it is what I tend to always go to. Uh, Charlotte, like I said, she got that kendo stick, the natural selection on the chair. But the controversial moments on my page, though, I think that you guys hit on it. Maybe you guys did. But when the the chair went through her neck, it was like, Back in the day when Edge and Christian used to do concertos or when Kane used to put a neck through the chair, people didn't get up from that. We had stretchers coming out. So it was different thinking that Ronda Rousey is like a superwoman right now, being able to survive something like like that where blood should be coming out of your mouth. Like That was just something with my cousins I would not do as a child. I would not play and put a chair <laughs> open through their neck because of the way that he portrayed it growing up as a kid. So seeing Ronda get up from that in 2018 was mind-boggling for me. So that was something. But both both women did amazing. And I do want to say this as well. I actually wanted to see Charlotte versus Ronda Rousey, too, at WrestleMania. I don't care to see Ronda versus uh, Becky at WrestleMania. I want to see the rematch <laughs> at WrestleMania. Oh, I don't think we agree there. They are going to apparently have a match at Royal Rumble, but I want to see Becky and Ronda. I have to see that now that they've kind of put that thought in my head. But, I mean, either or is fine. As long as they don't try to, like, finagle a three-way in there. And then it's like, you know, guys, you could have just fucking done a solo match. Uh, One thing that's funny that 
not been confirmed, but it's been theorized that there's a beginning part of the match, and they try, well, if, if this is correct, they try to make it look like there was an elbow to Ronda from Charlotte that cut open her mouth. Apparently, that might have been a little thing that you keep in your mouth uh, for later for when that spot happened, so she would have actually been bleeding out of her mouth. But that didn't work out too well. But who knows? Maybe that's bullshit. There was a lot of blood for like a short period of time, and then it just stopped from whatever, you know, punch. But I guess that could happen, you know. Uh, either way, Chris, what did you think about this match? All right, let me let me start with the positive. I, I thought the match was really well done. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Would love to see them wrestle again. But I think this is the same match that was booked for Becky versus Ronda. So to me, it came off as hey, Becky's out, let's just throw Charlotte Flair in there. And for Charlotte to take a full kind of turn and start beating Rousey, attacking her continuously after the match, when Charlotte's kind of been the face in this whole Becky-Charlotte feud that they built Becky on, just seemed really fucking odd and out of character. Outside of that, the match itself was pretty awesome. Uh, I look forward to seeing them go again. Um, a lot of the critiques you had, Dane, are the same critiques I had as far as the the, the chair spot at the end and then the uh, Charlotte's moonsaw. But some of that is just, you know, being green. Like, she, she does that spot fine with uh, with Becky and Sasha. She's hit that spot many times. And I, I, I'm pretty sure at this point that she could just land it flat-footed from the turnbuckle. That's probably why she's not as worried about it. Uh, but, yeah, I agree with you. It can be a little scary with how she uh, shoots off that thing sometimes. But outside of that, it's a damn good match. It's just, it was weird, like, where are they going with Charlotte Flair, or do they just disregard it completely? Because the SmackDown women's division in general is just up in arms until Becky is back. And depending on that concussion protocol, it could be, like, three weeks, or it could be, like, a couple months, and then she has the broken jaw on top of that. Like, I mean, not to... No. Well, I'll relate it to hockey real quick. Like, Sidney Crosby had a concussion that lasted four months, but he's also had a concussion that lasted six months because concussions are weird and you never know what you're going to feel after you get one. So yep. it, it's, a, it's a weird scenario in general. And what they're doing with Charlotte, I think it's fine. But to me, it was almost like I did not – I don't think they did this – they did this three days with Seth Finley, but this match, as far as the preparation of what they were going to do, probably even further back with Becky Lynch. So this is yeah. one, like, I think the Ronda stuff, they're booking way ahead of time, which I think is smart, because she's pretty much learning on the job, if, if you really think about it. It's not it, it, it's not like she's, she went to NXT, was there for six months, and then had her first match. Like, she was there for, like, like a month, month and a half, and then had her first match with, with uh, Triple H and, and, and uh, Stephanie. So it's, it's a really weird scenario and it makes sense that they want to work these big-time matches out ahead of time. But to me, it totally felt like this was Becky's match, and, you know, Charlotte picked up it three days with Fit Finley and just worked her shit in instead of uh, Becky's shit. But that being said, it was one of the best matches of the night, if not the best. I, I think Daniel Bryan actually surprised me in the main event, so I'll probably give that match of the night. But it was a damn good match, and you could go either way, um, in all honesty. The match itself was fine. I had more of the problem with the story around the match, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Now, now, question, and I, I completely agree with you, and I think exact, I 
that's exactly what I think they did, is that they just took Becky out, they put Charlotte in. But because of given, you know, what was going on with her and Becky, how everyone started, you know, putting so much heat on Charlotte, who was supposed to be the baby face, with Becky, you know, giving her more of the rub as, as, as the actual face in the whole entire thing, and just the fact that she kind of was a bit stale, I think, lately, do you think this benefited her with the scenario because the audience, especially the next night uh, when she was on SmackDown, really seemed to respond to this more ruthless, I'm going to do what I have to do, I'll fight whoever, uh, you know, crazy version of Charlotte? Or do you think they're doing it too much now with heel turns? I think they're doing it too much because they flipped her too hard and they're going to need pay-per-views before they ever get to Rumble or WrestleMania, and that's going to be Charlotte and Becky. So now you don't really have a true face in the situation in general. And if you were going to go that route, why not just have Charlotte Flair cheat and beat the undefeated Ronda Rousey? And that be your fucking finish instead of doing it back. Because her name is Charlotte Flair. She is the dirtiest player in the game, right? So do that. The gimmick is right in front of you. <laughs> you could have easily done that, got heat, and then That's when Becky true. Lynch came back, everyone would have been hot for Becky Lynch, and then Charlotte could have played the heel. Her beating up Ronda makes it look like that she was doing it because Becky couldn't be there and that she's still friends with Becky, and that's why it doesn't fucking work. And the same thing is, like, it doesn't make any sense with Charlotte's personality. If Charlotte was going to turn heel in a match and and do this because she wanted to win or didn't want to lose, she would cheat her ass off to win the match, dirtiest player in the game. Like, that was her storyline with Sasha for forever. This, like, oblivious nature WWE goes about when they they just disregard all history that's not within the past three months is is ridiculous to me. So I I don't know if that answered your question, but that's those were my... The major valid, like how I felt about the match, and if you wanted to book it differently and turn Charlotte Hill, how you could have done it successfully, and it actually worked. Where wrestling fans, diehard wrestling fans, would look at it and go, "Eh, it wasn't bullshit." Yeah, no, I I agree. That's a very good point. I and I and I hope if she's going to have this this mean streak, if you will, uh, side to her, that she starts incorporating some dirty tactics, because that would only make sense. Um, I mean, thing is, me and you, and, and Jeffrey, you might have been like this way too. I've been saying for a while, she needs a heel turn. She needs to do something. Like, she's the greatest, she's one of the greatest wrestlers on the roster, men or women, but, you know, it's just, she was kind of complacent. And I, it's, I mean, I hate to say this, and uh, I was excited, not by the heel turn, but just by a change in pace. I love AJ Styles, but him with the title was kind of starting to bore me. Charlotte with the title was starting to bore me. I, you know I feel about Brock Lesnar with that thing. Uh, but either or, let's move on to the last match, unless either one of you guys have any other words about this one. Jeff? I'm going to say this with Charlotte, is that I am intrigued that how everyone – I watched it after it aired, and everyone's kind of like a Charlotte heel. There's this whole question of if you're heel, if you're face. That's like the big thing. You guys need to keep it on a structure. I actually watched the show, and I legit didn't necessarily see bad woman. I just saw, honestly, kind of a good woman that's fed up because there, there was like this tweet that said heel versus heel, but – I still see Charlotte like a good 
woman. I don't know if that makes sense, but I'm, I'm personally intrigued because it's just something different. It's different to me. So I'm just going to keep an open eye on, on what they do week after week now because I can't, I can't say. Well, that's how they book it, you know, week to week. So it makes sense to keep up with it like that for sure. Let's get to the last match. Um, yeah, I think this is my favorite match on the card. I, it, like I said, that women's match was awesome. Uh, this one was great. You had Daniel Bryan <laughs> going in as the new uh, WWE World Heavyweight Champion, going against Brock Lesnar, Universal Champion. Uh, if you've watched any type of interview with Daniel Bryan throughout the years, uh, this match was supposed to happen once upon a time. He really wanted to structure it a certain way. Um, you know... It just seems like with Brock's schedule, it's amazing that they were able to get this match to this level. And I really appreciate that. I think it depends, you know, unfortunately to someone like a Dean Ambrose, depends on who the opponent is. Brock Lesnar will work with you. And I thought, you know, I was watching this and I had a live chat from one of the podcasts I listened to. It might've been Steven Larson. I'm not hundred percent sure, but just seeing their chat board. And I was freaked out too at the beginning. What are all of us worried about? Daniel Bryan going in there and getting slammed on his, his, his back and his head a bunch of times. The guy's got concussion issues, and he's got a horrible neck. Um, and honestly, with that first one, which I, I really, and I, after watching it, I've seen the match twice now, I think it was Daniel Bryan's way of coming out of it. I, I, I really think that Brock, and you could see it with all the other suplexes, how they completely slid him onto the back of his shoulders, which is exactly where you're supposed to go in that situation. So the first one was a little bit scary, kind of freaked everyone out because he felt kind of bad. But after that, it just looked like, you know, a Brock Lesnar squash match. She's even done this to the friggin' John Cena, for Christ's sakes. We, we've seen all that crap. And, uh, you know, towards the end, he goes for an F5 and picks him up during the three count, wants to go and do something else with them. Then O'Brien kicks him in the head. Uh, Brock kind of scuffles. He kicks him in the head again. Uh, Brock gets pissed off, you know, grabs Daniel Bryan, hits him a couple times, puts him up for an F5 again. When he goes to spin it, Daniel Bryan nails the ref, you know, and Brock's like, thinks that he gave him an F5, so he's not paying attention to the aftermath. Uh, Daniel Bryan waits for him, clips him, almost gets three count. Then this is where the match just starts picking up, and it's, Daniel Bryan giving a lot of offense to Brock and Brock selling his ass off, getting kicks, stomps to the face, you know, just a, a, just a great match in general. Just, you know, very exciting. Going back to that chat, basically what I was saying is like, I was watching people react to it on there and people were putting like, Oh no, like screw you, Brock. Like this is bullshit. And people were pissed. And then finally this happened. The match changed. And then someone was like, this would be something I would say, honestly. It was like, all right, guys, chill the fuck out. Just watch the match and enjoy it now, because obviously it wasn't going to be exactly like you thought it was going to be. But it's reason to worry. It's Dan O'Brien. Even if he's now doing this heel run and trying that out, and, you know, it's just funny that six months ago, if you would have told me that uh, Johnny Gargano and Dan O'Brien would be heels, I would have told you you're fucking crazy. Here we are today. Um but either way, uh, the ending of the match, uh, Lesnar countered a triangle hold into an F5 to win the match. And, uh, yeah, on the way out, 
And on the way in, Dan O'Brien was mocking Lesnar both times. At the, on the way out, he was just smiling maniacally to himself. And Ross swept SmackDown six to six to one, but six to zero. Either way, match was awesome. Chris, how did you feel about the match? Honestly, I expected a lot less, and they gave me a lot more, so I was really happy with the match. I had no problem with any of the offense Brock had. I, I, when Brock wants to, I think that he can wrestle. Uh, like He can be a five-star wrestler when he fucking wants to. Uh, that's the thing. And I felt like Brock uh, did a really good job in the ring. I liked the fact that they kind of recounted back to uh, the Cena burial from, I don't know, 2014, 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. The, the match where Cena just got absolutely just demolished with, uh, demolished with suplexes. And then to have Daniel Bryan come back. Um, I guess the only thing that I would really say that would have been so much more if Daniel Bryan hadn't had the weird heel turn, uh, more of like the little engine they could, which is kind of the match I wanted with Daniel Bryan. Even if he lost, I, I think emotionally it would have meant more. But I, it seemed like they didn't care about that in general on Survivor Series. But the match itself was was actually really, really, really well done. Uh, And I would like to see another match between them. Uh, It would be really fun to see those two go at it, even if it's just they meet up at Royal Rumble and Daniel Bryan somehow gets an elimination or something weird like that. Uh, Obviously, there's a lot of wrestling to go. And, uh, you know, Braun's going to be there to Mania. He may drop the title and win at Mania. Who the hell knows? in the air at this point. But uh, I, I really enjoyed the match. Probably my favorite match of the night. Like I said, if, if there was a close second, it would have been the match right before it. I think the booking was great uh, for the particular match. But, uh, yeah, my only thing was it, if Daniel Bryan was a good guy, it would have meant more. But the fans were still behind him. So in the audience, it didn't really mean anything, just in their storyline. It's a weird kind of scenario. And I guess, like, you know, having Daniel Bryan be maniacal is fine except for there's no monsters for him to fight on SmackDown, and they had Samoa Joe get eliminated right off the fucking bat in the uh, Survivor Series match earlier. So, you know, who is he going to be maniacal against? Like, Daniel Bryan doesn't come off as the guy that's going to, like, cap you, like, break your kneecap in the parking lot or anything. So, it just, on that level, it didn't work for me. But as far as the match itself, I thought it was really great. Uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised because I thought it was going to be bad. So, there's that. Yeah, it's kind of like when I got the press screenings to Justice League. I was like, this is probably going to be shit. And I was like, that wasn't that bad. Um, but this was definitely better in, ass, in uh, you know, uh, the level. I, I really, same thing. I was going into this match like, all right, don't expect much. And I kind of started seeing that. And I, I hook, line, sinker. I was like everyone else, kind of worried. And then flip, that was an awesome match. That was great. Uh, really enjoyed it. I, I, I will agree. It seems like you could have, with the AJ match, instead of making it so blatant, done something that could have suggested that Daniel Bryan t- took advantage of a situation and won the title that way. Maybe roll up with, you know, some some trunks pull that the ref doesn't see, something that they can kind of use on, and then kind of, I mean, when he does the Brock Lesnar, he kicks him in the balls, it's still a heel move, but it's against Brock Lesnar, so it's understandable, but still it adds to that. And then the next Thursday you get him to do something completely heel out, like he did against AJ, and then the next Thursday you get him to do what he did 
you know, or not Thursday, Tuesday. I'm used to the – whoa, that was back in the day. Um, you know, what he did uh, last night in which he kind of gives a speech of, of this change. Uh, I will say that because – well, we'll probably go into it, but, yeah, I'll, I'll just save it for when we go into uh, SmackDown. Uh, but either way, uh, Jeff, how did you feel about this match? Match of the night. It was everything I never knew it could be. I was scared as heck for Daniel Bryan's neck, and to know that this matchup, you know, and I think that that brought life to the matchup as well. Daniel Bryan's neck, the story of it, it's kind of like one of those things that they wasn't promoting going into the match, but everyone was already making comments going into it, like, we're going to get that retirement speech on Raw. We just saw Brock Lesnar throw Jinder Mahal around, so... It was really interesting holding on to the couch as every time I saw a suplex to be done by Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman at the ring of eye, the time when Brock Lesnar got the belt and taunted in the middle of the ring is something I would do on W2K19, and I absolutely loved it. This was the, a main event. If I was in the Staples Center, I would have went home very pleased. I was so glad when Daniel Bryan got some offense, so glad. Like, I was nervous that. It was just going to be a wipeout. I thought it was it. Like, I was kind of, like, content that, okay, Daniel Bryan is not going to get any offense. He's small. He's the little guy. Brock is the man. But when Daniel starts to use his wit and starts to use that sinister vibe, he started from AJ the previous week. It just made for a good match and a good go-home vibe to leap off to for Survivor Series 2018. So Brock Lesnar still can go, just who he wants to go with. It's clear. It's evident. Daniel Bryan, it seems like, I don't know if he's 100%, but he definitely can do a lot more than than worries about his neck moving forward in the future. And one of the things I want to say from watching AJ Styles 365, is how much of an honor it is for these wrestlers to be in the ring for Brock Lesnar. And I'm not saying, like, from my perspective, but from their perspective. And I just think that that's really interesting that people be like, oh, Brock Lesnar is that guy that people, honestly, even though he's like a beast, that in a sense, Brock has been in this industry since, if I'm not mistaken, my my number is 2002. So for you to step in the ring with him in 2018 from your indie career and from what you all been through, and Brock has been, like, in WrestleMania main events and he's been through UFC, it's really an honor to these people. And I felt that vibe. So I loved it. Yeah, because if you can get Brock to do a match like he used to do, pretty impressive, I think, as a wrestler. And I think that stuff like with the John Cena thing, I don't know why John would agree to that, but I think that's what they were going for. They wanted to look, they wanted to make Brock look that dominant, specifically with him. But if he doesn't really give a shit, like with Dean Ambrose, for instance, he didn't really care to give him shit, and he didn't, and they didn't really have that great of a match. A lot of times, it's like Suplex City, bitch. Um, I mean, I think all of us can remember Randy Orton pouring blood everywhere. So it just depends. But like when you get a guy like AJ who I loved watching that right afterwards and seeing the highlights from his match because I forgot how good it was with Brock last year and with Daniel Bryan. It's, it's fun because the thing about Brock Lesnar is he used to be, and it's not, he doesn't it, like, like Chris was alluding to, it's not because he can't, he just, if he doesn't want to, you know, he's not going to use that much of his body, but he used to be a freak when he first started. And him and Kurt Angle had some, and him and a lot of people, but him and Kurt Angle had some incredible, matches 
he is a a viable threat. He's he's legitimate. I mean, he's proved himself in the world of actual college wrestling with the NCAA, or NCAA and then he is, uh, you know, taking it on with uh, UFC. And also, like I said, he's had the uh, IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. He's had the World Heavyweight Championship, which date backs and connects with the lineage of the NWA title, and the WWE Championship, and now the Universal. So it's like every friggin' major, you know, wrestling. It, it's it's pretty crazy. But Brock, that, that shows he can if he wants to, man. And it's very weird that, you know, TMZ uh, just hit up Dana White, asked him, you know, what's going on for uh, DC, and apparently they're going with John Jones versus DC. And we see that Brock's apparently getting UFC shape, but we don't know, you know, there was all this buzz, and now it's kind of been talked about on the Wrestling Observer with Dave Metzler. We don't really know exactly what's happening, if the whole UFC thing's happening anyways, or if he's going to fight whoever wins between Jones and, and DC, but I think they're in a different weight class. I don't exactly know how it's going to work, but Brock might be around longer. I don't know what happened with the money that he got from going to Saudi Arabia. He got paid the most out of anyone. So he's making money. Um, I wish he would perform at this level with everyone, but in a way I kind of understand that of why he doesn't, because I mean, it's, it's like Bruno in the late seventies. He just came for whatever matches he had. He had the title. Uh, He would go in the match, give it, not as all like he used to, but perform a decent match and get out. And, you know, that's, that's, that's it. That's, I mean, Orton's kind of like that now um, in, in a lot of ways, but uh, either way, we have a couple items that happened from this whole entire thing. Uh, Enzo Amore <laughs> was in the crowd. Speaking of the craziness that happened with the AOPP um, match against uh, the bar, so Enzo posts these pictures of himself on Twitter, uh, of him in some disguise, and him at the Stable Center, and I think the third row, I believe, he stayed with this stupid wig on, and was pointed out, and at some point started doing his shtick while uh, you know the tag match was getting set up and people were coming out and stuff. Uh, was annihilated by a female security guard. I think she was the same one that tried to like take out Gronk at WrestleMania two years ago. A uh, woman just completely just took him out and uh, kicked him out of the arena. Uh, took him through the back, kicked him out the back door, and he's not allowed back. He was apparently trying to promote his rap show that uh, had an attendance of 40, 40 people, I think, at the Whiskey A Go-Go. Uh, yeah. Good job, Enzo. Uh, also within this, we got a confirmation that Dean and Seth are going to be having an intercontinental title match um, at TLC. I, I feel like that's going to be Seth losing the IC belt from some type of fuckery. And Lars Sullivan's going to be headed to Raw or SmackDown. The promos have been coming out. They're on Raw. They're on SmackDown. Has not been 100% confirmed. I would put him on SmackDown. I feel like they could use a big monster type, and he's used to working with smaller guys like an XT. If you put him on Raw, he's going to get lost in the shuffle, and it's going to be pointless with Bobby Lashley, Drew McIntyre, and all these other dudes. So with those last thing uh, from Survivor Series, the most important, of course, being about Enzo. Uh, Chris, do you have any final words about Survivor Series itself? Yeah, so the Enzo thing was really fucking weird. 
what I will say is, unfortunately, some fan got hurt from that bullshit with the with the, the female security guard jerking Enzo down. Apparently, she got hit and was like taken out on a stretcher, and then came back and was like hurt the rest of the night. So that sucks. Um, what I will say is, the way that security guard grabbed him probably not necessarily the safest. I understand, but there's also arena security. Um, I think it could have been done a little bit better. Uh, also, Enzo, like, st- stop. Like, uh, Big Cass is free. Start a tag team. Go to Impact. There you go. Promote your rap show on Impact. Build it into your contract. They do weird shit like that. Um, <laughs> outside of the Enzo fuckery, I do want to give... Brock Lesnar, a little bit more props, just following up on on that conversation. He gets a lot of shit for being the champion for so long, but when you look around the current status of Raw, there's no one that really stands out that deserves to be champion. I think the last person was probably Braun, maybe Samoa Joe after those promos, but honestly, I don't know that there's anyone on that roster. Maybe if they gave Seth Rollins a push, it could have carried the title as long as he has. and He's had some good matches here and there. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's just certain opponents that he just doesn't give a shit about, which sucks. But Brock Lesnar is a good wrestler. I, I think that I should take this time personally, because I have been one of those people in the past, like, why the hell are they doing this? Um, but I should give some props to him. I, I wanted to do that. And then outside of, of that, like, the rest of Survivor Series was okay at best. If you didn't watch it, probably watch the last two matches and maybe the cruiserweight match if you like cruiserweight wrestling. Um, I think I caught everything. Uh, Dean Ambrose versus Rollins, obviously a given. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into that if we talk about Raw. So don't want to spend too much time on that one because I, I, I shit all over that storyline last week. So I'm, I'm sure I'll get a little <laughs> more shitting in before we're done. Yep, I agree. Uh and how do you, where do you think Lars should go since they're doing these promo packages? I, I really think there's no fucking point of putting him on Raw. You know, I was talking that entire time, and I knew there was something I was missing. Um, Lars Sullivan, who I think is an okay wrestler, he just, once again, doesn't have any personality, in my opinion. I, w- I would put him on SmackDown, especially if you're going to, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like he's a good heel in the, in the United States class. Maybe you can turn Nakamura face, do some stuff there. Um, and there's lots of small guys for him to wrestle with. If you put him on Raw right now, I think he'll get lost between Drew McIntyre, Bobby Lashley, Braun Strowman, um, and then, you know, eventually, hopefully, God willing, Roman Reigns will be back, and then you still have Brock Lesnar. They're just very, very big. I, I didn't even mention fucking Baron Corbin. So, And, and I guess Jinder Mahal is, could be considered one of those big guys. I, I think he's just someone that will get lost in the shuffle because he doesn't have as much personality as some of those others. If he goes to SmackDown, looks like an absolute monster. I think that goes a long way for him in his uh, career in wrestling in general, as far as the main roster goes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jeffrey, um, I wanted to take your take on, you know, the same topics of Survivor Series, uh, what we were just talking about. And I know you got to get out of here, so obviously plug whatever you got to plug afterwards. And uh, thank you for coming on, my friend. First off, shout out to Chris. You were amazing. It was so great to finally get to talk wrestling with you. I really enjoyed discussing Survivor Series with you both. Appreciate the opportunity. 
And anyone that's listening that want to follow more, and I hope to be back. Let me just plug that in there. Hope to be back. But you can follow me on all social media platforms, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-S-H-O-W-L-I-V-E. That's Jeffrey Show Live, you guys. So I appreciate you guys once again. And I'll be listening out for the rest of it later on. All right, dude, definitely. Uh, did you have any uh, final statements about Survivor Series or anything involving Lars Sullivan or anything like that? Lars Sullivan, I want him on Raw. I feel like Raw is lacking really? uh, with Braun Strowman, Brock Lesnar not being there but four times out the year. Uh, Roma Reigns, who's holding it down. It seems like Dean and Seth is in the cruise. I was about to say cruiserweight. They're in the mid-card division. I feel like Lars Sullivan. Uh, would just slide right into that that main event pool on the main roster. So I would hope that I do agree that he doesn't have any personality. So I hope that he gets a manager like everyone else who doesn't have any personality on Raw. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, Thanks so again bye. for coming on, buddy. We'll talk to you uh, very yeah. soon. Thank you all again. Have a good Thanksgiving. All right. Hey. You all as well. Bye. All right. Let's move on to talk about um, a little bit of TakeOver. But before we do that, I want to, you know, do a couple words from one of our other sponsors. Uh, You know, I'm going to give it to my friend Randy and see how this works. Okay. Wish me luck, people. Oh, yeah. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed, uh-huh. Listen up. BlueChew.com, yeah. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work, uh-huh. You can take them any time, day or night, even on a full stomach, freak out. And since they're chewable, they work twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Oh, yeah. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships directly to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor visits. No eating at the pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness, uh-huh. They're made in the USA, yeah, brother. And since Bluetooth but chairs and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Oh, yeah. Right now we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free. When you use a special promo code, GVN, as in Geek Vibes Nation, you just pay $5 shipping. Uh-huh. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com, promo code GVN, to try it free. They're giving it free. There's madness. Oh, yeah. Blue Chew is better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Oh, yeah. Get it back to you, brother. Oh, my God. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> that was much. 
as, as the zombie. Uh, are you but, are you okay, dude? I, I think you may need like a shot of whiskey after that one. That was a lot of macho man. Yeah. Oh my god! I need to drink some water. Ugh. Take a sip. Take, take a sip of good good wawa. Yep, I'm ready to go. All right, so we got uh, the FFT takeover, and guys, really, honestly, uh, if you don't have a lot of time, well, if you got this far in the show, I guess it's one of those hypotheticals. If someone asked me what matches to watch, there would be five I would direct them towards. Charlotte, Ronda, uh, Brock and, and, and uh, Daniel Bryan, Aleister Black, Johnny Gargano, uh, Tommaso Ciampa, Velveteen Dream, and the NXT um, War Games. I thought all all those matches were, they had, everything's going to have issues. Every song's going to have flaws, every every movie, but they were pretty fucking entertaining and, and amazing to watch. And this, you know, it doesn't really change with this whole entire thing. So we started off, originally it was announced four matches. On the pre-show, we had some, some shit talking by Cassie Sono against Matt Riddle and Keith Lee. Apparently he wants to take on the new generation of indie newcomers and put him in their place. He's got this heel run. Uh, a lot of people are hoping that's because Cassie Sono, AKA Chris hero is about to go to Maine. So he's putting over a couple, you know, newer guys, even though it's Keith Lee and Matt Riddle, pretty big names in the, uh, you know, independent world of wrestling. Uh, he's going to help out a couple newer guys and then go up. I really hope that's the case. Cause it kind of sucked seeing Matt Riddle come out, Challenge Cassie Sono. Uh, Cassie Sono came out, tried to charge. Riddle hit him with one knee and immediately pinned him. And that was it. Um, Chris, for time constraints, I'm going to combine that with the ladies' match and then go through the last ones by themselves. Uh, two out of three falls for the NXT Women's Championship. You got Shayna Baszler, Carrie Sane. Baszler got the first fall quickly, forcing Shane to tap with the uh, Karafuda clutch after Jasmine Duke and Marina Schaffer attacked the Pirate Princess behind the rest back, Sane recovered and took the second fall by pinning Baszler after two insane elbows in a row and the first one outside the ring, which took down both Duke and Shafir. When Shayna's friends got involved, Dakota Kai and Io Shirai ran to counter them. Kyrie attempted another insane able, but uh, Shayna Baszler countered it, uh, rolling her directly into a pin to win the match. I thought it was fitting that Carrie Zane used uh, Shayna Baszler's finisher against her uh, in the last match, and then this happened exactly. Um, they, they, I, this match was good. It, it was, it was fine. Uh, there was interference that kind of caused some stuff. I think they were just trying to help out Duke and Shafir. It's whatever. I don't know if Shayna. The thing is, Shayna doesn't need the belt anymore. To me, she should probably be going to Maine. Um, and getting ready up there. She's now a two-time women's champion. I think she's the first one to do that. Pretty sure. I don't know. Maybe maybe Sasha did that beforehand. Either way, you know, she's already had a run with the belt. She's now had a second run. It's kind of weird. I will say I think the best thing, one of the best things of the night, talk about moonsaults, was Io Shirai's moonsault with no looking behind her, just trusting the people and her just doing it perfectly, just beautifully, uh, and landing it amazingly with the ladies. Uh, I thought that was awesome. Um, and uh, I liked, like I said, I liked the ending of her taking her elbow and putting it against her to pin her. I thought that was kind of like self-reflecting. But, uh, yeah, apparently uh, Kyrie Zane is 
does not have the title right now. And Shayna Baszler is still the NXT Women's Champion after beating her for the title at the last pay-per-view. Uh, Chris, what do you think about this match? Oh, the, the first two matches, that and the Matt Riddle-Cassius-Sono uh, match. I, for people that are thinking Cassius-Sono is going to Maine, I have bad news for them because I just don't see it at all. I, I haven't Me seen either. a good Cassius-Sono-Chris Hero match or Chris Hero match since he left Ring of Honor. Um, so I just don't see it. If anything, he's probably being phased out in a way that is uh, not great. Um, I thought the match was okay. Uh, I was expecting a little bit more out of these two people. They've performed together before, so I kind of expected the match to be a little more, but it was the opening match. So, uh, you know, it was okay. Obviously, Matt Riddle is uh, is someone they're going to build, I think. So I'm excited to see where they go with him, but uh, as far as KO goes, I, I don't see him going to Maine. And if he does go to Maine, I don't really see anything coming out of it. So, sorry if that upsets people. That's just how I see it. Uh, Shayna versus uh, Carrie. I kind of just wanted this to go as a straight match, honestly. I really wanted this to just go three, two out of three falls, and whoever wins, wins. To me, it seems like they're setting up a feud between EO and Carrie versus uh, Baszler and uh, Clutch and, and Jasmine Duke. Am I saying that right? I think I, I, think I got there. Or, or no, uh, Jasmine Duke and... Uh, Okay, Marina Shafir. So I I think that they're going to be setting up something between the groups of people, and my guess would be, you know, it ends with Carrie finally winning the title, Shayna going up to Maine, which makes sense, probably feuding with, I would assume, Ronda, because that would be the go-to, and then probably Carrie and uh, Io feuding um, in some form or fashion. So that, that would be my guess. Uh, EO is great. She was fucking phenomenal in stardom. Um, one of my favorite wrestlers when she got signed, I was super excited about it. I think there's a whole episode where I gushed over I, uh, her and her work and what she did in stardom. So I'm excited to see her there. Um, I kind of agree with you in the sense that I think that, that Shayna is probably ready for Maine at this point. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, it's like, I, I think that's a good thing for Shayna. I think that she's actually, she's progressed and become a much better wrestler, like, knowing stuff outside of just trying to do grapples and stuff like that. So I think that she, like I keep on saying, she would be a good heel to put against Ronda Rousey. The reason why I'm saying this, everyone that's screaming out the whole entire four horsewomen versus four horsewomen, those other two, you know, Jessica Duke and Marina Shafir, they're, they need a while, not not to get better, just to be able to have a reason to have those two with Shayna and Ronda against Bailey, you know, the four, four of the biggest women in this generation of female wrestling and wrestling in general. It just it doesn't make a lot of sense. Bring Shayna up, do a storyline where she's the heel. Later on, you could turn around her as a heel and do that same angle when the other two are ready to go to Maine after NXT. That's what I think. I think you bring Shayna Baszler up. She works for uh, Stephanie to specifically take out Ronda Rousey, so she's not a threat anymore. And she can win the title. It's believable. You know, you could you could put her against certain other people, and I think it would be a good match on the Raw side of things. So that's the only thing I'm thinking of. Uh, but either way, I'm sure they'll figure it. The next, this next match I think was match of the night for me, Chris. Uh, Alistair Black 
Johnny Gargano. All right, so they there's this whole entire storyline because Alistair in a real match actually got racked by Tommaso Ciampa on the top ropes, and I think he ripped one of his testicle or, or got like he, he hurt himself really bad down below basically. So they had to take him out for a while. So the next NXT, they made it look like someone hit him by behind, beat the crap out of him. So it was just Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano at the takeover, the last takeover. Um, so we find out that Johnny actually did it. Take Alistair so he can just go dead set on Tommaso Ciampa. You know, we have this whole story that Johnny's basically slowly becoming Tommaso Ciampa by losing his sanity over this whole entire thing. Even his, his girlfriend, Cancel Ray, is now wearing black lipstick. Ooh, that, that's how you know if shit's going bad. But uh, either way, this was a great fucking match. These guys are masters at their craft. You know, I when we did our, our top tens not too long ago, Chris, I know I took Alistair because he hadn't been around in a minute, but now I regret that. He's back on my list. I like that he's buff, buffed up. I think that he should continue to do that. I think it would help him. You know, he's about 6'2", I believe. So if he buffs up and he's not so – because when he started, he was 205. Everyone was talking about that. Like, he needs to put, you know, gain some weight so we have to worry about him going to 205 Live. I don't think we have to worry about that anymore. I'm still scared as shit with him. Just like Velveteen Dream. And I feel like these guys, those two specifically, if you, if you head them to SmackDown or Raw, they should do fine. It still scares shit out of me. So, adding some more size definitely adds to the intimidation. I love Aleister Black. A lot of symbolism reminded it. Now, I know now specifically after listening to his interview. Shawn Michaels is sculpting these matches with these guys and working on them. There were a lot of, of, of certain beats that reminded me of Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. The defiantness of, of Johnny throughout the whole entire thing of, you know, that one part where, where, where Alistair basically, you know, just got in his position and told him, knee me to the face to, tri- to, to trick him, but then Johnny got him one up with that later on when he was like kissing his feet and telling him just to black mass and take him out of it and then use it against him and almost beat him. It was a fun match back and forth. They just knew each other so well. It's like they studied each other like you would do in a fight. Um, you know, you had Alistair's spot where he goes and does the fake out, uh, you know, um, whatchamacallit, lion salt back into his position. And Johnny ran around to the other side and just kneed him in the head. Like, little things like that were just awesome. The exchange, they were hitting the shit out of each other, just nailing each other. And I love the ending sequence of him getting that spinning knee that he does and then following it up with a kick, a black mass, Johnny's on his chest. I kind of, very similar to, specifically, because I saw this this visual in the match, um, with the Shawn Michaels uh, Undertaker thing, I kind of wish Johnny would have, like, when he when he laid him back and he was like, uh, "This is what you get now. You have to uh, reap for your sins or something like that." Something something Alistair Blackish. Um, I wish Johnny would have like spit at him, flipped him off, you know, uh, slapped him, something like that, and then it would have triggered the black mass just to show that Johnny's still. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with him. It's very interesting. We can't put him against Tommaso again. You know, I I I, I don't know exactly what Johnny Gargano. I know Aleister Black seems like he's he's definitely ripe for Maine. Uh, so I don't know when you take that whole thing. He's going to have a match against Tommaso Ciampa. I don't know if he's going to get the belt back. I expect him not to. I don't know, though. I have no idea. I think it would have been more fitting. We're going to talk about it. If they were going to do this, Ciampa would have lost to Velveteen Dream, and then Velveteen Dream beats the, you know, uh, 
the title uh, number one contender, Alistair Black, gets him back with that whole entire thing. Brings it back 360, and then Alistair Black goes on to Maine, comes out in the Rumble or something like that. Uh, I don't know how they're going to do it, but I love this match regardless. Uh, Chris, how did you feel about this match? I thought it was a really good match. I thought it had good chemistry. I did like a lot of the storytelling outside of I really wish they would have played into more of Gargano and Ciampa maybe being in cahoots at this point. But outside of that, yeah, I really enjoyed the storyline leading up to it. Kind of classic. Like I said, they, they did something similar with Kevin Steen and in the past. Um, it, it's a, it was a, I, you know, it was a really good match for Alistair Black. It's one of the best matches he's had recently if you look back at yep. the other pay-per-view. So it's good to see him back kind of in ring shape, healthy, and uh, I'm excited to see what they do with him. I, I, I'm leaning towards them doing a rematch with Gargano and a rematch of the match we're about to talk about with Ciampa and Velveteen Dream in, in the situation that you laid out happening, where Velveteen Dream becomes the champion and maybe Black has to go through, you know, both Gargano and Ciampa for a match against Dream and, and Maybe, you know, if he gets two good wins, or I guess it would be three if he wins this match, wins the rematch, and then kind of feuds with Ciampa and Gargano um, leading up to Velveteen Dream, you know, and Dream wins the match, that would be a good send-off for Black. I, I don't think it hurts him to lose a match to Velveteen Dream. Velveteen Dream, super over, Black, super over. Especially people kind of know his time in... Uh, NXT is coming to an end, so you know I see no problems with them doing that. Exact, exactly what you said. Just they're going to space. I think they'll space out a little bit. I don't think this is the last we're going to see of Gargano versus Black, and I do think they're going to loop Ciampa in somehow to the storyline. So it'll it'll be interesting to see where they go with it. Yep, and part of it's happening uh, currently as we speak. About to wrap up, we'll find out the next part in the chapter of everything that we're talking about in NXT Takeover. Uh, next match, I mean, you could definitely pick this for match of the night as well. It's Mas Ciampa, Velveteen Dream. My God, Velveteen Dream. It's just, it's it's not like he's, like, Tommaso Ciampa is a better technical wrestler and a better, like, you know, ring guy overall. But Velveteen Dream is entertainment value. He's an entertainer. He knows how to sell his ass off. He knows how to look like, you know, he's 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 in a hurry, like, Little little things like that for 23 years old is fucking ridiculous. And the amount of potential with him, with his charisma, coming out in the OVA for OVA, NWO shirt, Hollywood Hogan as hell, going out. No, no, doing that, doing like a greatest hits album. He did Bret Hart's uh, ring post, uh, whatchamacallit, figure four. He did the figure four, Ric Flair's finisher, obviously, Buddy Rogers' finisher, obviously. Um couple times, he, he did four leg drops to Tommaso Ciampa after a big boot. Did the U-point thing that Hulk Hogan does. Macho Man's elbow drop. He is so entertaining. God, man, part of me wants to see him match with him and Jay Lethal for, for probably not not the best reasons. I don't need them doing a impersonation fest, but uh, it, I just, I, I think that he has limitless potential. I love The Rock meets uh, Prince uh, that he that I think that he kind of just embodies, and um, I thought this match was awesome. I thought the Mouse Chopper was great in this match. Um, I'm trying to think of like certain spots specifically. Uh, may, I'll, I'll let you kind of refresh my memory. Uh, how did you feel about this match, Chris? 
I, I thought it was an awesome match. I mean, obviously the ending with the um, the DDT in between the two rings was kind of creative. I, I liked it a lot. I mean, there was a lot of just things that just ooze Velveteen Dream. We're we're running close on time, so I don't want to go too too much into it. But this was probably my match of the night. One I definitely recommend people watching. Um, and what I will say about Velveteen Dream, as far as a negative, because we're always talking positive, and this isn't really on him, the guy needs to win some matches. At some point, he's got to win some damn matches, because leading into this, yep. he's come off a loss. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, he had just lost to Lars Sullivan going into this match, uh, right after he, he did. kind of made, I guess kind of made a face turn, so... I don't know. It's just weird. I feel like he needs some wins. Maybe his win is the title. Like, maybe that's the big win, but it would be nice to see them build him up a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I'm going on a little long. But uh, Velveteen Dream, I think, is the future. I think he needs wins. I think he needs meaningful wins. Beating Ciampa, obviously, would be super meaningful. And then a really a one or two match feud with Aleister Black, sending Aleister to Maine would be really good, even if it's Velveteen dropping the title and then picking it back up. I think that would be the way to go. And obviously, I think both of those guys are probably main ready, but it would be nice to see Velveteen hold the title before being uh, pushed up. Absolutely, yeah, uh, fun match. Love those four. Ju- those four guys are just working on a different level in NXT right now. Um, well, actually, the next match too. But Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano, Velveteen Dream, and Aleister Black—they just—they're spectacle. <laughs> match guys, their, their single matches are always great, and uh, a lot can be said about the next one too with the individuals within it. Uh, the War Raiders, Ricochet, Pete Dunn defeated the Undisputed Era. Uh, Undisputed Era won last year, first War Games. They lost it this time, and they had the advantage. You know, it started off with Adam Cole and Ricochet. Uh, then the next person to come out was Kyle O'Reilly. Then Hanson came out followed by uh, Roderick Strong. So basically, the the, the uh, Undisputed Era had the advantage almost every single match, or every single person. They were always a person up. Uh, at the end of it, uh, Roe went and then left Pete Dunne and Bobby Fish left. When Bobby Fish was out, he took his padlock, uh, closed the cage for Pete Dunne, and threw the key out in the crowd, which is great because afterwards when he was supposed to come out, then the rest were worried about it. And he tried to key on the padlock that it was supposed to be. He's like, it won't fit in this one. Like, yeah, no shit, dude. Then the other guy was like, I'll go get, I, I'm, I'm going to go get some bolt cutters. Like, what the? F-? All right, whatever. Spend disbelief. I just think that the main thing that everyone needs to really, uh, it was an awesome match. Brutal, kind of confusing, sloppy at certain parts, lots of weapons. The guys knocked the shit out of each other. Uh, Ricochet doing a double fucking moonsault a double moonsault yes off the top of it was absolutely crazy um one thing i will complain about is that super duper suplex thing stuff that they do now usually in the corner where like it turns into a power bomb plus three suplexes and people start piling up like a fucking jenga i'm done with that it looks stupid but the ending part with the two moonsaults was fucking awesome and uh, I like Ricochet and Pete Dunne both getting the win after doing their finishers back-to-back. Chris, what did you think about this match? I liked the match a lot. I think it was a little overcomplicated with 
well, the ending specifically, the padlock stuff, all all of that stuff, I think took away from what could have just been like you know a straight good good guys win this match kind of night. Um, Ricochet and Pete Dunne looked amazing. Adam Cole looks great as always. It it was a good match uh, outside of the weird stuff that we've already talked about. But uh, yeah, I, the double moonsault was was fucking nuts. The the uh, bitter end into the four fifty splash. Finish I thought was fun with them both pinning Adam Cole because they're both kind of fed up with his shit. Um, so the one thing I kind of hope for this is that somehow you end up with Ricochet and Pete Dunne and you get heel Pete, Pete Dunne again because <laughs> Pete Dunne's probably one of my favorite wrestlers that is, I guess, technically in NXT, right? I guess he's in NXT. He's probably one of my favorites besides Velveteen Dream, so it'd be great to see, you know, another heel Pete Dunne run. Um, Specifically, feuding with uh, Ricochet and maybe even Velveteen Dream, I think it was a lot of fun to be had there. But yeah, it was a, it was a fun match. Um, I think that some of the storytelling kind of took away from what actually happened within the match itself, and and how good of a job all of those guys. I mean, alone, undisputed errors, fucking great. Like just look at the just look at the roster of that team. It's it's nuts. So you know them having a really good match wasn't surprising. I just think it was a little driven story-wise, and, and it wasn't necessary. Yep, I agree. Well, I mean, that was TakeOver and Survivor Series, so I guess the last thing that we'll talk about before we um, exit out, well, I, I mean, I want to talk about Daniel Bryan's promo. We can kind of add that in there, but mainly what happened on Raw. WWE uh, either... Not thinking, uh, I guess it, that they can definitely do that, being tone deaf completely, or really when storylines don't need to go in a certain direction. Two examples, Monday Night Raw. The first promo was Braun Strowman coming out saying that he wanted Baron Corbin, and his statement to to uh, Stephanie was, I'm going to rip him limb from limb, I'm picking the stipulations. And when he to, to save from the rip, rip him limb from limb, Stephanie literally says, well, I'll have to check out with our corporate department. I don't believe that dismemberment is something that we – or I, I believe that dismemberment is something that we frown upon. Okay, given what the fuck happened with Saudi Arabia, probably not the best thing to say. I can think that maybe they were just – that was the dialogue they came up with, and that's, that's just how it was. But later on, the Ambrose stuff, which before it wasn't really bothering me. But now when you're saying, you know, this guy's battling cancer – and Amber and I, I don't think Ambrose would want to say this fucking line because I know it's a scripted line. So even if he wants, even if 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 uh, you know Roman's okay with these said lines, the fact that you're making Dean someone else friends with them say a line that we'll have to you know reap for our sins for being in the Shield maybe and connect it with Roman Reigns, um, maybe he'll have to talk to his maker for doing that and then saying but don't worry he's got leukemia Seth you're gonna have to deal with me. Besides the fact that the whole entire running around the fucking arena thing, Chase thing, was stupid. And I did like the John Moxley coming out and saying that he thought that, uh, you know, that L.A. was smelly. That was kind of funny. But then again, wildfires, probably not the smartest thing. I don't know. Chris, am I being oversensitive or is some of this type of shit just a little bit ridiculous with Vince? I mean, it's raw, so it's a little bit ridiculous. I don't think you're being oversensitive at all. I think the entire storyline with pulling... Roman Reigns into it at this point was dumb. I think you could have 
You could have easily done a heel turn with Daniel Ambrose, like I said last week, by making him and Seth closer and then having them go after the tag titles and win the tag titles and then turn on each other. That would be, you know, regardless of the shield, it would have been just two guys that hated each other at the end of the day after they won the tag titles. Um, so, you know, a lot of the things he said, obviously, the leukemia thing, I think they're taking it a little too far. And they're, I mean, maybe they're just feeding into the kind of negative image that they have right now and, and poking a little bit of fun at it. Maybe they are close to going back to more of an attitude error because it seems like they're leaning more into that stuff than they were previously, even with the Nia Jax face, uh, the face breaker stuff and, uh, and some of the comments on Raw. Maybe they're leaning more into that. I don't necessarily know that that's a good thing. I think that you could just write your show better and it wouldn't be a fucking problem and you don't need those kind of shock comments. Um, but, you know, what the fuck do I know? I've only been watching wrestling since, I don't know, I was born. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is the same company. Eddie Guerrero's rotten hell after he died in a storyline, you know, um, so many tone deaf moments uh, for so many different things. It just, uh, I don't know, for someone currently battling it, or not that they do all this stuff with cancer, you know, awareness and stuff like that, and you have kids that are dying of cancer, and they see, they think that because they might have liked Roman, like, I just, I hate to think like that, but that's the direction my brain goes. Like, you have little kids watching this, they love Roman Reigns. I don't know. It's just, it's very weird. Either way, um, you know, we got we got a couple minutes left. Uh, so the last question I'll ask to you, and then you can, you know, just exit yourself. We had a great show. Definitely thank everyone for uh, coming on. Uh, do you think, Chris, that Daniel Bryan did well uh, with his promo and his heel turn? Like, is it believable? And uh, with the recent news that their dark match for that night, uh, for last night, was The Miz playing babyface against Daniel Bryan as a heel, uh, is that what we're going to be getting in the future? How do you think about that? And obviously say goodbye to the wonderful audience. I mean, I kind of said it last week, but I think Daniel Bryan has and always will be a terrible heel. He just doesn't come off as someone that can be a heel, believably, uh, in my opinion. And his promo saying that he let Brock Lesnar beat the weakness out of him, I thought was just the most ridiculous reason to become a heel ever. Um, also hated the Thanksgiving beast fight. Thought it was dumb. And uh, that, was, that, pretty, that pretty much just sums up all of SmackDown for me. But, uh, yeah, just real quick, uh, you can hit me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at, at uh, Chris, Christopher, uh, Chris R. Patton, at Chris R. Patton. And then, obviously, uh, if you have any questions or concerns, like, hit us up. We love hearing from you guys. Everybody have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And um, pitching it back to you, Dane. All right. Thanks, buddy. Really great show, guys. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. I uh, hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Eat lots of turkey. Uh, while you're hanging out, you know, check out our website, gvnation.com, uh, for the latest and greatest in all news as far as, you know, geekdom. doesn't matter if it's sports, comics, movies, and wrestling. We go over all that type of stuff, so definitely check it out. And check out uh, Geek Vibes Nation uh, over on Facebook and on Twitter. And Geek Vibes Live, we got it on every platform you can think of uh, between Blog Talk, between iTunes. You can find us on YouTube. Check us out, guys. Join the giant force that is Geek Vibes that's destroying, you know, your, your, your airwaves, if you will, in, in a very positive way. But either way, 
thank you guys for listening to our episode. Like I said, have a good Thanksgiving. Love y'all. And uh, these are parting words from a good friend of us. Hey, monkeys, it's me, D-D-P, Diamond Dollars Page, the king of Bada Bing, the master of the diamond cutter, the three-time world champion professional wrestler, WWE Hall of Famer, and CEO and founder of DDP Yoga. And you, monkeys, well, you're listening to Geek Vibes Nation. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Peace out and let the geek fans be with you.